Well, good morning, and good morning to our viewers online as well. I think most of us are familiar with this story of the rich young ruler. Um, although Mark is the only one who suggests he's rich, Matthew is the only one who says that he's young, and Luke is the only one who calls him a ruler. The fact that he shows up in all three Gospels, though, is a pretty clear indication that this story is important. Um, because of the rich, young ruler, we have one of the hardest sayings in the whole Bible. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So the question he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's almost as if he's been successful in life and he's used to going after what he wants. Um, he's someone who wants to achieve as much in heaven as he's achieved on earth. And he'll do whatever is needed to add eternal life to the list of things that are already his. Maybe he'll be asked to make a large donation to the poor. Maybe he'll be asked to like, put his stuff in storage while he accompanies Jesus on his travels. Jesus says, you know the commandments, and they lists off half of them. And then the man says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And then it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Because Jesus responds this way, I'm pretty sure the man didn't say it pridefully. He didn't say it condescendingly. Like, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young, right? He probably said it more like a confession. I've kept the law all my life, which is how I know it's not enough, right? He had amassed great wealth, uh, which wasn't enough either. Um, he was obviously rich in wealth, rich in material possessions, probably rich in respectability, rich in obedience to the law. Um, he senses intuitively, though, that none of these is enough. What must I do to inherit eternal life is the question he asked Jesus. Um, it, is a, it is a beautiful moment. It is a catalytic moment, a moment that is ripe with possibility. It seems as if he has come to the end of himself and he is ready for what Jesus has for him. So Jesus looks at him, like he really looks at him. I think in a sense, Jesus loves what he sees, a true seeker. Um, he's kept God's word. He's lived a life of obedience to God. Um, he knows there's more. And of course, he's asking the right person. But Jesus doesn't just look at the man, he looks into the man. Um, almost like a doctor making a diagnosis. What's his issue? Like what still has a hold on his heart? Jesus makes his diagnosis and then he gives his prescription. He said, there's still one thing you haven't done. I'm sure, like, in this moment, the man is pretty excited. Like, he wants to hear what Jesus has to say. 
Like Jesus was about to show him the one thing that he lacked. The one thing that he was missing. Whatever it was, like I'm sure he was ready to do it. Whatever it cost, I'm sure he was ready to pay it. Uh, Whatever it required of him, I'm pretty sure in that moment he was willing to do it. Only it turns out it wasn't a matter of addition but subtraction. Um, Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. I'm positive that like, that's not what he was expecting. <laughs> uh, he doesn't see that the wealth he had obtained, the material possessions that he had obtained, now owned him. He doesn't see the invisible burden that's on his back. Jesus' invitation <clears throat> to this man is to become smaller to become more agile by closing his accounts on earth and opening his account in heaven. Uh, Jesus is daring this man to become a new creature with a new creation, like a a new identity, a new sense of self-worth with entirely different values. He would trade all the words that previously described him up to now. Wealthy, responsible, obedient, maybe even educated, influential, cultured, maybe. He would trade them all in for one radically different word. And that word is free. Free to have the most intimate relationship with Jesus. Free to follow him, to identify with him, to grow and learn from him. Um, Free to fulfill his potential in the kingdom of God. So think for a moment of Peter. How Peter went from ornery fisherman to the rock upon which Jesus built his church. Read his letters, right? First and second Peter, right? That ornery fisherman, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that. We are gathering in church today, right now, in part, because Peter said yes to Jesus' call. I would say that Peter fulfilled his potential in the kingdom of God. So back to the rich young ruler. Um, We can only imagine how this guy's life would have been different if he'd actually gone and gotten rid of all his stuff and followed Jesus. Um, I'll get to that in a minute, unpacking that. But first I want to, I think sometimes... Uh, we get this story wrong in a couple ways. First, we act as if it's not about money. And second, we act as if it's only about money. It is about money. 
Um, as far as Jesus is concerned, money is like nuclear power. Um, it may do a lot of good in the world, but only within strongly built and carefully regulated people. Many of us don't know how to handle money. Uh, I certainly did not know how to handle money the first three decades of my life. And then it took me another decade to like get a handle on it. Uh, many of us, it takes a while to learn how to handle money. Um, it's easy to think that money is about buying the things that we want. That is the material the materialist mindset. Um, it's also easy to let money go to our heads. We can get contaminated by its power. Um, we can want it too desperately, and the love or the need of it can cause us to do things we never thought that we would do. Now, sometimes people who have a lot of money um, use their money well, the way God intended for them to use it, but, of course, the odds of that are about as good as that of threading a camel through the eye of a needle, right? Um, the story of the rich young ruler is a story about money. But it's not a story that's only about money. None of us can earn eternal life, no matter, like, what we do. We can keep every commandment and then some. We can give... 10% of our income to, to the church. We can give to every special offering that comes up. We can live the most moral, religious life that we can. Um, we can do all of these things without earning a place at God's banquet table. The kingdom of God is not for sale. The poor can't buy it with their poverty, no more than the rich can buy it with their riches. Right? The kingdom of God is God's consummate gift and it comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm not talking just about salvation here. I'm talking about the gift of Jesus' invitation to come follow him. I'm not just talking about praying the sinner's prayer. I'm talking about taking a cue from Peter and dropping your net and following Jesus. The catch is, pun intended, the catch is you have to be free in order to receive this gift. You can't be otherwise engaged. Uh, you can't be tied up right now. You can't be too tied down to respond. You can't accept God's gift if you have no spare hands to take it with. You can't accept you can't make room for this gift if all of your rooms are full. Um, you can't follow if you're not free to go. That's why the rich young ruler went away sad. Um, I think he understood immediately that he was not free. His wealth, uh, all of the stuff that was supposed to make him free, um, didn't, right? But as he knelt before Jesus, he knew that he was not free. 
Uh, when Jesus invited him to get rid of all, <clears throat> excuse me, get rid of all his stuff, like sell it, give the money to the poor, and then follow him, says the man walked away with great sorrow. Um, he realized that he had a lot of possessions, and these possessions lugged behind him like a ball and a chain. He's the only person in the whole of the Gospel of Mark um, who walks away from an invitation from Jesus to follow him. He's the only wounded person who refuses to be healed. Poverty scared him more than bondage. Um, he couldn't believe that the opposite of rich might not be poor, but free. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier, in fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then it says the disciples were astounded. The kingdom of God, of course, <clears throat> we know this, is an upside-down kingdom, right? Uh, the last will be first. The meek will inherit the earth, that kind of stuff. So here in this story, we see that those who love their possessions get stuck on the gates of the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded, but they shouldn't have been. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. Uh, two of them left their fishing nets behind. A couple of them left behind uh, a fishing boat, right? Not to mention their father. Uh, another one left a lucrative career, tax collecting, right? All to follow this itinerant preacher. All of them walked away from something but not because it was a prerequisite to being a disciple. Um, it was more like a consequence, really. Um, he called, they followed, and stuff got left behind. Not because stuff is inherently bad, it's not, but because it was just in the way. They didn't leave their stuff behind because they had to, but because they wanted to. Jesus called, and nothing else seemed as important anymore. So I want to explore this idea of Jesus' calling. Why? Because with this story of the rich young ruler, I think we tend to focus uh, on what he wouldn't give up, right? And we forget what he did give up, which was a calling to ministry. Uh, every one of the disciples gave up something in order to pursue a calling to ministry. So let's just think about this for a minute. We can only imagine uh, how this rich young ruler's life would have been different if he'd actually gone and gotten rid of his stuff and followed Jesus. Like so many more cool kingdom stories 
Who knows? Maybe there would have been another book in the New Testament, right, with this guy's name on it. We don't even know what his real name was, right? We call him the rich young ruler. It is one of those critical junctures in our life where saying yes changes everything. So it's clear in Scripture that every Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to ministry. Every Christian, no matter what, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, um, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to minister to others and to make disciples. You could be a nurse, you could be a business owner, you could be a dog groomer, you could be a plumber, you could be a carpenter, a truck driver, whatever. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling by God on your life to use your gifts for the kingdom to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show his love, and to tell people about him. However, there are some who are called to ministry as a profession, meaning like a pastor or a missionary or like the leader of some nonprofit organization or like a parachurch ministry or some other expression of the kingdom of God in the community. Right? Um, someone who is called to ministry as a profession senses that God wants him or her to devote their life to either like serving in a local church or on the mission field or in some ministry capacity as their primary focus. I say primary focus because some people who are called into ministry are called to be bivocational. Paul, for instance, was bivocational. Like he went up to Paul and he said, Paul, what do you do for a living? He'd say, I make tents. Right? But that, that's how he supported himself, but that's not his primary identity. Right? Um, so while, while these people who feel called to ministry as a profession can still work other part-time jobs, um, they sense a calling to devote their primary focus to being on the front lines of ministry and to equipping others to do kingdom work. So one of the biggest questions that people ask on this topic is this. How is someone called to ministry as a profession? Sometimes people want to know. Like, usually because they're sensing a stirring uh, in their own hearts, like God's, God's doing something there, right? Um, now, everybody's calling is different, and you might think of some ways that I'm forgetting. Um, but here are five ways that people are generally called into ministry. So the first, uh, I would call the Saul-Paul call. It's not often I get to do, come up with silly things like that, but the Saul-Paul call. You, might, you could also call it like the Damascus Road experience or something like that. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, um, Saul, who became Paul, was on his way to Damascus when he received a vision, right? A flash of light 
from heaven blinded him, um, and he heard the voice of Jesus speaking directly to him, right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, now Paul, literally went from persecuting Christians to committing his life to spreading the gospel, like all because of a divine encounter with Jesus. Sometimes God calls people like that. Um, A sign or a miracle or some unmistakable sense of hearing God's voice. Um, You experience something catalytic, transformative in your life, and you know for sure, like, this is what God wants me to do the rest of my life. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I would call the progressive call. So this calling involves sort of like a progression, like a gradual sequence of events over the course of your life that happen until it finally dawns on you that this is what God wants you to do. Um, It could be that you you grew up in church um, and you eventually developed a deep, like, passion for loving people and telling people about Jesus. Um, You might... This is just some examples. You might go from like attending a small group to helping out with one to leading one to multiplying one. Maybe you go from being in youth group to helping out with like games or worship um, to leading a youth small group to eventually they might ask you to share a message with the youth. Eventually you know in your gut that God is calling you to devote your life to ministry. That's the progressive call. And just a note, um, since the progressive call can take a long time to unfold, uh, it, can be e- it can be easy to kind of slip into doubting your calling and questioning, like, if this is what God's truly calling you to do in your life. If that's the case, uh, I would encourage you to like, keep seeking the Lord, keep asking him, to continue to reveal his will, and he will. So that's the progressive call. The third one is, uh, is kind of rare, but it's, it's valid, is the call from birth. So there are some people who literally cannot recall a time when they didn't sense a calling to ministry. Like, these people accepted a calling, like, very early in life, and they have not wavered in its sense. So the prophet Jeremiah is an example. He's called to ministry like before he was even formed in his mother's womb, right? Prophet Samuel, his mother dedicated him to serving the Lord before he was even born. Um, like I said, this calling is pretty rare, but it does happen. Um, there are some, though, um, who've not experienced a Damascus Road kind of experience. They've not experienced this kind of gradual process of discovering their call. Um, They just know, like from the beginning, that call was always there. The fourth way uh, we can be called into ministry is what I would call the called by the church call. Called by the church call. So God speaks in a number of ways in our life. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through his word. He speaks through circumstances. 
But he also speaks through other people. Uh, Particularly, he speaks through his body, the church. The church is God's chosen people, right, to minister in the world, to proclaim his name, to advance his kingdom on the earth. The church not only bears witness, uh, God's witness to the whole earth, but also speaks on his behalf to people. So many times God will call people into ministry and either initiate or at least confirm that calling through his church. Some, so some people um, have a better track record of hearing God's voice. It's common, too, that somebody who's been walking with the Lord for decades, right, may be able to hear the Lord in ways that we can't. I think it's one of the coolest things uh, when God speaks to us through other believers, right? Especially when it's like you just sense it in your spirit, like that's from the Lord. God sometimes will impress upon uh, onto other believers like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge about what, he's, what he wants to do in someone's life, um, where he's leading them like what next steps that person is to take, um, even if that person hasn't grown to the point of being able to hear God's voice for themselves. That's why the body is so important, one reason. And this is actually how uh, I was called into ministry. So a little bit of my story, um, how I went from Someone who I, like someone you never think should be a pastor to to being your pastor today. It started uh, with attending an Encounter God retreat, Encounter God retreat. So um, it was off-site. It was away from the church at a retreat center. It was on a Saturday uh, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The premise behind the retreat was it was based on James 516. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you can be healed. So the way it works is they prayerfully paired you with somebody of the same gender, and you spent the day, uh, you'd hear a teaching, you'd go off with this person, you would um, each take turns confessing an area of sin, and then have the other person pray for you. Then you'd go back, hear another teaching, then you go off, each take turns confessing your sin in this new area, praying for each other, and wash, rinse, repeat. Sounds like fun, right? Who wants to sign up for that? <laughs> I would not be here if it was not for that. <laughs> God powerfully used this experience in my life. So I've actually been through this this kind of retreat several times, um, and I've actually led this kind of retreat several times, um, and it is really, really cool. You cannot believe how God, like, divinely pairs people, um, how he brings healing to people, and how he reveals callings, which is exactly what happened to me. So interspersed through this cycle of, like, teaching going off and confessing, and then praying for one another. Um, They interspersed three 
group prayer times, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. So in the first of these, uh, I'm sitting there in a group of like five or six people. <clears throat> they're, they're like laying hands on me and praying for me. And someone says, uh, I think God's going to use you in a powerful way. I see you becoming a pastor. And I was like, uh, no way. <laughs> like, he has no clue how unpastoral I am. He has no clue how sinful I am. I had a lot. I have a lot. Right? We're all in need of grace. I, I, in that moment, I was like, I am the last person that should be a pastor. Like, you line up a thousand people, I'm at the end of the line. Okay? So then, in the afternoon prayer session, we had another one of these, like five or six people doing the same thing. Another person in the, in the group, like this is a totally new group, all new people. Okay? In the second group, this person says, uh, I really see a pastoral calling on you. God's calling you to be a pastor. And I'm like, did you talk to the guy from this morning? I'm like, why are you saying this to me? Because that's crazy. Like, that is not going to happen. Okay? So, the last prayer session in the evening, again, another totally different group of people praying for each other. Now they're praying for me person says, God has really put a pastoral calling on you. I see it all over you. And in that instant, it was like God showed me, I mean, it was like one of these, you know how they say like your life flashes before you at, at the end of your life kind of thing. Like it, it was like God showed me in just a few seconds all the events in my life and how he had been pre preparing me for this moment. It was almost like like uh, pieces of the puzzle of my life, I started to all see how they fit together. And I knew. I knew that I knew that I knew that he was calling me. So God often uses people to either initiate a call or, or at least confirm a calling to ministry. Right? You know, now it... it you know, I look back, I've been in ministry, what, 19 years now? You know, it makes sense. I see, you know, the evidence of God all over that. But in that moment, I had nothing. I had no evidence other than just these people telling me something. And I'm either going to listen to God or I'm not. I'm either going to be, you know, saying yes to Jesus and throwing my net on the ground or I'm going to be like the rich young ruler and walk away sad. And I'm so glad I didn't. Like, I just look at the lives impacted from that one decision. And it's like, I, I could have lost it all. So if, if this is you, um, chances are you've heard other people say you've, you, you know, make a great pastor or a missionary or some kind of ministry leader um, even before you gave it any thought yourself. Um, you will want to seek confirmation, of course, like through prayer, through God's word, um, through testing it out, right, at church, through progressive levels of leadership. That's how I did. You know, start with little things and just keep going and going. 
Um, throughout this process, God will make it clear. He'll make it clear, like, is this just somebody's idea? Or if indeed he is calling you into ministry. The fifth uh, way I think God calls us into ministry is um, what I call the open door call. Um, open doors can come from, like, out of anywhere, right? Um, they begin as, like, cool opportunities, um, open doors that God sometimes uses to ignite something that's in our hearts. Um, it results in us, like, committing our lives to ministry in some form or fashion, right? This could be you go on a mission trip um, where someone encounters a culture, like, that's hungry for the word of God, like you've never experienced being around people who are this hungry for the word of God, and you're like, I want to do that the rest of my life, right? Um, or maybe you encounter a need in the world. You're like, I got to devote my whole life to this thing, and, I, and you start prioritizing, like, everything in your life as you sense God calling you to do something about that need in the world. Or maybe you experience the presence of God in such a way like you want to spend the rest of your life helping others experience that presence because you know how transformative it is. Or maybe uh, you came out of a season of difficulty or pain in life and, and the door has opened to help others who are going through something similar to what you went through. The open door calling. Now here's an important point too. Um, God has a history of calling reluctant people who feel absolutely inadequate. Like that's what he does. Like Genesis to Revelation. He uses people who feel like, oh, you've you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Use him, don't use me. But God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I'll say it again. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. Um, if you feel inadequate, join the club. Right? The Bible is full of people who argued with God about his plans for their life. Uh, people who felt unequal to the task that he was calling them to. Uh, don't let that feeling of inadequacy push you away from ministry. Um, rather, allow that feeling of inadequacy to draw you into deeper dependence on God. Like, that's why God uses such people. Because they can't imagine doing any of this without him. Now, I know there's a, there's a bit of a blurring of the lines. Um, like, what's a calling to paid ministry and what's a calling to ministry that I'm supposed to do, like, outside of my day job? Um, all I can say is that God will eventually reveal which it is. So, again, all Christians were called to ministry, um, whether that's paid or unpaid, full-time or volunteer, uh, the Lord will eventually clear that up. Now, here's the important thing I want you to hear this morning. The rich, young ruler, um, he didn't see the invisible burden that was on his back. 
He didn't see that the material possessions he owned actually owned him. He didn't understand that Jesus wanted him to be free. Free to be used by him to do some pretty amazing things. Things with an eternal impact. Like things that would far outlast all of his wealth and all of his stuff. It wasn't about the wealth and the stuff. It was about the hold that they had on him. Right? Such that he couldn't say yes to Jesus when that moment arrived in his life. Like literally that moment came, it was pregnant with possibility, and then it went. And he missed it. We don't even know his real name. So I would challenge all of us this morning, um, ask God, is there anything in my life that might impede my ability to be ready to respond to Jesus when he calls me to kingdom ministry? And secondly, do you already have a sense of what that is? And where are you at with that? Are you pursuing it? Or are you ignoring it? Because what better feeling will there be than at the end of our lives to hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even when we feel inadequate, we feel insignificant, flawed, broken, too weak, even too sinful, that you still can use us for amazing kingdom things, things that can have an eternal impact. I pray, Lord, that um, you would be stirring in the hearts of each person here. Make it clear what you're calling them to, and what their next step is. Is it to free themselves of the things that would prevent them from being able to respond to your calling? Is it to have the courage to then begin taking steps into what you're calling them to? Is it something bigger? Like a calling into ministry as a profession? God, I pray that Life Church would be a church where every person is in the process of discovering, embracing, and growing and walking out the ministry call that's on their lives. I pray, God, that we would be a sending church, that there would be people eventually all over the globe who can trace the beginning of their ministry call to their time at Life Church. God, may we all at the end of our lives be able to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.